Um, at the moment, we are beginning the process of electing some new elders in the church. Uh, if you're visiting with us this morning, there are certain things that we have to do, like preach on eldership, and also we need to read this morning from the Code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland. And this is so that everyone in our congregation gets an idea of what an elder's job is and what an elder should be. So this morning I'm going to read from the code and this is required by the Presbyterian Church as we go towards electing some new elders. So let me read this statement. The duty of ruling elders as members of the Kirk Session is to work together with the minister in the oversight and government of the congregation for the upbuilding of God's people in spiritual fruitfulness and holy concord, and for the extension of Christ's kingdom among all people. In exercising this leadership, the Kirk Session shall oversee and work along with other members who have leadership roles in the congregation. Ruling elders by their calling share equally with ministers in responsibility for practical witness, both within the congregation and in the wider world. In the discharge of their duties, each elder should be assigned by the Kirk Session pastoral responsibilities and or other leadership roles in the congregation. The Kirk Session, along with the minister, should seek to ensure that all elders are equipped to fulfill their duties. To be chosen for the office of the eldership in a congregation, a person must be a voting member of that congregation and a regular attendant on its ordinances. He should be circumspect and exemplary in his conduct, both in the church and in the world, of acknowledged piety, endeavoring to maintain the worship of God in his family, and held in esteem by the people. Women shall be eligible for election on the same conditions as men. A ruling elder shall not hold office in more than one congregation at the same time, except as a member of an interim session. This shall not apply to retired ministers who may be members in the congregation. So that is what the, the, the code of the Presbyterian Church in Ireland says about eldership in the church. And um, Last week we looked at what the Bible says the role of an elder is. And I would encourage you, if you missed last Sunday, please catch up on the podcast. Please take a listen to that. Um, I tried to be nice and concise last week, so it's not a long podcast, but it is worth listening to, so that you have a good idea of what the job of an elder is. And this morning what we're going to do, though, is we're going to see what the character of an elder should be like. And to help us do that, we're going to turn now to the Scripture. So can I encourage you to take a Bible and to open to 1 Timothy chapter 3. We last week, and then we're going to flick over a few pages and read from Titus chapter 1. And if you're using one of the Pew Bibles, you'll find it on page 1192. That's where you'll find 1 Timothy chapter 3. And then we'll flick over to 1198, the Titus chapter 1, after we read 1 Timothy chapter 3. As we read this passage this morning, let's remember that the Bible is God's Word. And so these are the things that God, through the Apostle Paul, is saying that an elder should be. So let's read here from 1 Timothy chapter 3. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. And now if you will just turn over with me a few pages to 1198, where we're going to read from Titus chapter 1, and we're going to read from verses 5 down to 9. And what you're going to see here is you're going to see similar characteristics that Paul writes to Titus, saying that an elder must have. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This morning we're going to be thinking about some of the characteristics that Paul outlines there, but let's pray and ask that the Lord would speak to us through this part of the Bible. Our Father in heaven, we give you so much thanks that through your word you give us clear instructions. And Father, we thank you that when it comes to electing elders, you give us clear instructions on the role of an elder and also the characteristics that an elder must exemplify. Father, I pray this morning that as we delve into this passage that you would search our hearts, that you would reveal in each of us any wrong way among us, and show each of us any areas in our life where we may need to repent and come in line with your will. Father, I pray particularly for those who will put names forward and nominate people for eldership. Lord, I pray this morning that they would remember these things so that they would nominate people who are qualified. And likewise, Lord, I pray for those who have a desire for eldership, that you would place these words in their hearts that they may assess themselves in light of them. Oh Lord, speak to us, we pray this morning, through this part of the Bible. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I don't know if any of you have applied for a job recently, but if you have, what you will know is what employers are often looking for are competencies. Very often, competencies are the things that they want the most. So if you're applying for a job to be a web designer, for example, what they want to know is that you can write in HTML language. 
One they want to know is that you can create beautiful functional websites. But that's really all that matters. I mean, what you do at home, what you do outside the office, how you actually are as a person, that doesn't really count for very much. Likewise, if you're getting a job as a mechanic in a car dealership, what they want to know about you is that you can change a, a, a gearbox, that you can fix a clutch, that you can change ball joints. They're not too worried about how you treat your wife. They're not too worried about how you are. All they want to know is that you are competent, that you have the skills to do the job. Now, last week we thought about the role of an elder, and we saw that it is a, a multifaceted role. Elders are on one hand to, to lead the church, they're to set the direction, they're to make decisions and lead a congregation forward along the will of God. And we also saw last week that they're to shepherd God's people. They're to know the people, to care for the people, to look after the people, to protect the people. The, the job of an elder is not an easy job to do. And as I think about the job of an elder, I can think of competencies that would be very good if elders had. I mean, management skills. It'd be great if an elder had management skills. They could then help us to manage the business of the eldership. It would be brilliant if, if an elder had counseling skills or, or a background in social care because they could help us to figure out how to care really well for people. It'd be great if elders had certain skills, certain competencies. It'd be wonderful if they had those. But what's really interesting, and we've seen it this morning as we've read from God's Word, whenever it comes to being an elder, what we see in the Bible is that competency is certainly not as important as character. What we see in the Bible, whenever God gives us a list of, of what elders should be, what we see is that their character is far more important than their competence. When it comes to church leadership, when it comes to being an elder, what matters is that those who are elders are godly and Christ-like Christians who are serious about their faith. Now, maybe you're wondering this morning, Marty, why is that? I mean, why are competencies not listed? Why does it seem that God is more concerned with the character of elders than their competencies? Well, I want to suggest that there are two reasons why. The first reason is it's a practical reason. There's a practical reason why character trumps competency when it comes to being an elder. And the practical reason is this. Competency can be learnt. You can learn to do the thing that elders do. You can learn how to do pastoral care. You can learn how to manage you can learn how to work together as a team. You can learn competency. I am an elder in my first charge, and I'm sure you'll be very surprised to know that I don't know how to do everything. It's no surprise to you, is it? You, I'm learning on the job. I'm figuring out and learning as I go. 
And that's the same with all elders. Whenever a new elder comes on board as part of the elders team, they will not know how to do it all. But over time, they will build up the competency to be very good elders. So that's the practical reason why competency can be learnt. But the second reason why this is important, the second reason why character trumps competence whenever it comes to elders is a spiritual reason. A very, very important spiritual reason. You see, last week we found out that yes, elders are to lead the church. Last week we found out that yes, elders are to care for the flock. But another thing that an elder is meant to do is an elder is meant to set an example. We saw that in 1 Peter last week. Elders are to be examples to the flock of God under their care. And the example that an elder is meant to give to the congregation, they're meant to show an example of what it looks like to be a Christ-following, godly person. They're meant to be showing people what it looks like to live for Jesus in the world they live in. And so the spiritual reason why it's so important, why character trumps competence, is because elders are there to set examples. Sheep, do you know what sheep do? They do something very silly. Follow the sheep out in front of them. If you've ever seen sheep, they, they go in a herd and they just follow the sheep in front of them. And if you think about that, sheep at the front <laughs> jumps off a cliff, the rest are going to do it too. And so it's vitally important that elders, those who are leaders in the church, display godly, Christ-like characteristics so that we as the congregation can follow them and follow their example. This morning in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and in Titus chapter 1, we, we see a number of, of characteristics put forward by Paul, but put forward by God that, that elders really should have. Now, we're not going to look at all of them because we might be here for a very, very long time, but this morning we are going to look at some of them. Some of them that I think are very important as we think about who to nominate as elders and also as we think about ourselves and whether we should be putting ourselves forward to go for eldership. And the first thing that we see, we see it both in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus, is that an elder should be above reproach. The text says this, now the overseer must be above reproach. We see the similar idea in Titus, an elder must be blameless. Now, here's a question, what does that mean? What does it mean to be above reproach? Well, let me tell you a story that I heard, and I don't know if it's true, but apparently it is. Uh, apparently a friend of Plato, you know the philosopher? Apparently the friend of Plato told Plato of a terrible charge that had been leveled against him that wasn't true. Now Plato, he knew it wasn't true, but his friend said to him, Plato, what are we going to do here? What are we going to do about this charge that's been leveled against you? And Plato said this, we must simply live in such a way that all people will know it is false. Plato had been accused of something that wasn't true and his response was, we must live in such a way that people will know this accusation is false. 
this gives us a glimpse into what it means to be above reproach. What it is, that, that term above reproach, it's actually a legal term. And it's a word that indicates a kind of innocence in the eyes of the law. What it means is that no one can legitimately accuse you of doing something. That they might accuse you of doing something, but whenever they look at your life, whenever they investigate your life, what they will see is that their accusation is actually false. To be above reproach is to live in such a way that accusations don't stick because you live all of your life in such a way that you're blameless. Tabiri Anyawibi, I'm so delighted I've been able to say his name correctly because it's a hard one. But Tabidi Anyawibia, a pastor from America, writes a book on eldership, and this is what he says. Being above reproach means that an elder is to be the kind of man whom no one suspects wrongdoing or immorality. People would be shocked to hear this kind of man charged with such acts. A person who is above reproach, while they are not perfect, while they're not sinless, because none of us are, they do live a consistently Christ-like way. These are men who do provide a godly example to follow on a consistent basis. These are people who believe what they believe matches up with how they live. These are people who practice what they preach. These are people who don't just talk the talk, but they walk the walk. These are people who are consistent in trying to live God's way, even in places where no one else sees them. A person who is above reproach is one who is living God's way when no one else's eyes are on them. Someone who is consistently trying to follow Christ in every area of their life. This is one of the qualifications, one of the characteristics that an elder is to have. But it should be something we're all aiming for, isn't it? It should be something we're, we're all aspiring to, to live all of life for Jesus Christ, to live all of life in a way that pleases God. This morning, if you have a desire to be an elder, can I ask you a couple of questions just to think about this morning? The first question is this, is your faith real or are you faking it? I know that sounds like a strange question, but you can fake being a Christian. You, you can come to church, you can say the right things. You, you can fake it. I know, because as a teenager, I did it. It's so easy to fake your faith. But to be an elder, your, your faith must be real. It must be genuine. You must have a real trust in Christ and a real lived out life of following him. Let me ask you another question. And this might help you discern if you're above reproach or not. And this is a very challenging one. Are there any areas of your life that you're deliberately hiding from others? Any areas of your life that you're keeping covered up? Any area of your, of your life that you're, you're keeping away that you wouldn't want anyone else to see? Maybe that's an indicator of whether or not you're living a life that is above reproach. 
do not mishear me. None of us are sinless. Do not mishear me. We all make mistakes. Do not mishear me. We, we blow it every single day in different ways. But what I'm asking you, are there intentional things that you're hiding? Are there particular areas of your life that you are willingly not giving to the Lord Jesus? And that, my friends, may mean that you're not above reproach. Maybe this morning the Lord is calling you to repent of a certain sin, to, to let him have his way in a certain area of your life. If he's doing that this morning, I want to encourage you to surrender and to let him have his way. Because in the will of God is the safest place we can be. Okay, let's move on then to our next thing that Paul says. He says that an elder not only should be above reproach, but he should also be an example in marital faithfulness. In both letters to, to Timothy and to Titus, he says that an elder must be the husband of but one wife. Now, there, there's ways we can totally get the wrong end of the stick here. Um, the first thing that we can do is we can think, okay, it says there that uh, an elder must be the husband of but one wife. Does that mean that men who are single cannot be elders? Well, I don't think that's what Paul's getting at. I don't think he's saying that single men cannot be elders. And the reason for that is because if that was the case, Paul himself would be disqualified from being elder. And so would Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Jesus was a single man. So he, he's not saying here that you cannot be single. I also don't think that he's talking about polygamy. I mean, you, you can't have multiple wives and be an elder. You can't have multiple wives and be a Christian. It's, <laughs> to be a Christian is only to have one wife. So I don't even think he's, he's trying to challenge polygamy here. What I think Paul is getting at, oh, sorry, just one other thing. It, it also doesn't mean that you can't be divorced. It also doesn't mean that you can't be married and, and, and re widowed and remarried because again, there, there is freedom in the Bible and liberal, liberal uh, freedom to do that. So he's, he's not saying that either. So what is he saying? What is Paul getting at here? You can be single and be an elder. You can be divorced and be an elder. You, you can be widowed and remarried and be an elder. But, but there's something you can't be. You, you must be faithful to your wife. An elder must be a man who is completely and utterly faithful to his wife. He is to be a one-woman man. John MacArthur, a Bible teacher from America, sums it up like this. This, it is not concerning status. It is concerning character. It is not a matter of circumstance. It is a matter of his virtue. And the issue here is a man who is solely and only and totally devoted to the woman who is his wife. It is a question of his character. He is a one-woman man. Anything else is a disqualification. What this means is that a person who is an elder or a person who is aspiring to be an elder must have no other significant woman in his life apart from his wife. He is to be totally faithful to her. An elder should not be one who flirts with other women. He should not be one who leads other women on in any sense of the word. 
He should not commit adultery with another woman, to be sure, but he also shouldn't let his heart or his, his eyes or his hands wander towards another woman. An elder is to be a one-woman man. He is to be an example in marital faithfulness. The great Winston Churchill, he once attended a banquet in London and the dignitaries were asked this question, and it's a nice question. It says, if you could not be who you are, who would you like to be? Naturally, everyone was curious to hear what Churchill would say. When it was finally his turn, Churchill stood up and he said, if I could not be who I am, I would most like to be, and then he paused and he said, Lady Churchill's second husband. Churchill was a, a man who was a one-woman man. He had eyes for no one else. He had a heart for no one else. He was faithful to his wife. And this is what we are to be as elders, as examples of marital faithfulness. Maybe you're here this morning and you're a single man. Uh, and you're considering eldership, you, you have that desire for eldership, well, well, here's a question for you. What are your habits regarding dating? If you're a single man aspiring to be an elder, what are your habits when it comes to dating? Because if you're someone who likes to date a lot of people, who likes to, to play with the hearts of a lot of women, who likes to bring them to a point and then dump them, you're not qualified to be an elder. You're not qualified if that's the way you treat members of the opposite sex. If you're a married man, have you been faithful to your wife? Do you display fidelity to her? Are you faithful to her, not just physically, but are you faithful emotionally to her? Are you faithful to her? Or, or are you in an appropriate, inappropriate relationship with someone else? It might not be sexual, it might not be physical, but are you emotionally engaged? Have you emotionally give yourself away to another woman? Again, that would disqualify you on the basis of what Paul is saying here. And those of you who are married or single, how, how do you treat women in general? Is it as 1 Timothy 5 says, with absolute purity? Do you treat them as sisters in the Lord? Because as elders, this matters. It matters how we treat those of the opposite sex and it matters how we are faithful to our spouse. Let's move on to the next one. The, the next characteristic that we're going to look at this morning is the characteristic of self-control. Elders are to be examples of self-control. I uh, read a nice little funny quote on self-control this week. It said, you cannot control who walks into your life, but you can control what window you throw them out of. And I like that. It just, you know... Summarize that, isn't it? Self-control is hard. Self-control is really hard. It, it's almost not natural. 
Instead, what's natural is we are controlled by our emotions. We let them control us. Or we're controlled by our circumstances. We, we let the actions of someone else control us. But self-control is really, really tough. It's not something we do naturally. And yet what we're told in the Bible is that self-control is one of the fruit of the Spirit. When we trust in Christ, when we're filled with the Spirit, we are given this ability to be self-controlled people. And what the Bible says, what Timothy, 1 Timothy says and what Titus says, is that elders are to be those people who are examples in the area of self-control. They should be those who, who are consistently living self-controlled lives. Now again, don't mishear me. We all lose control sometimes. Doesn't matter who you are, sometimes you, you say something you regret. Sometimes you do something that you wish you could take back. None of us are perfect when it comes to being self-controlled. But as a general principle, those who are elders in the church should be displaying a consistency of self-control. They should be self-controlled people. An elder should not be someone who is consistently saying things they wish they could take back. An elder is to be someone who is not continually doing things they regret, an elder is to be someone who is pretty consistent in being self-controlled. And there are three particular areas in, in these passages that Paul highlights that elders should be examples in. And, and maybe these were big pools in the day. Maybe these were big issues in the day. Some of them still are today. One particular area is that an elder should be able to show self-control whenever it comes to alcohol consumption. We see that in both passages, an elder must not be given to drunkenness, it says. The Bible doesn't say that you can't enjoy a glass of wine. The Bible is not necessarily anti-alcohol, but it certainly never permits drunkenness. An elder should be one who has their alcohol consumption under control. They're also to be those who have their temper under control. In Titus, Paul says that an elder is not to be quick-tempered. They're not to be people who lose it quickly. They're not to be hotheads. Their temper is to be under control. They're also to have their fists and their hands and their feet under control. Again, in both passages, an elder is not to be violent. Violence is something an elder should not be. Now, we'll not always live self-controlled lives. All of us will throw the head up sometimes. All of us, in the heat of the moment, will say something we regret. No matter who we are, that's the way it is. But elders, we, we should be those who, who do display a consistency of self-control. This morning, whenever you think about nominating elders, please don't nominate those who continually lose the head. Don't nominate those who you know are people who continually say things they really shouldn't have said. Nominate men who are self-controlled in their words and their actions and their thoughts.
And then we'll move on now to the final qualification that we're going to look at this morning, the final characteristic. And it's that elders are to be an example in hospitality. And this is a really interesting one because it's actually in both passages. And yet hospitality is one of those things that I don't think we think about very much. And yet what's clear here is that elders are to be people who are hospitable. It says it in both of the passages. That word hospitable, it indicates a love for strangers. It indicates uh, letting people come into your home. In the ancient world, uh, it meant that you would bring in Christians who you didn't know into your home instead of sending them to some dodgy inn to stay in. You'd invite them in and you'd look after them and you'd open your home and your life to them. You'd feed them, you'd provide them with a place to stay. This whole idea of hospitality, it's, it's the idea of opening your life to someone. It doesn't necessarily mean opening your home, but it does mean opening your life. To be an elder is to be someone who, who is open to inviting people in to see the real you, to see your life up close and personal. Now maybe you're wondering, Marty, why is this on the list? Why is this so important for elders to be examples in? Well, the most helpful answer I find is from Tim Challis, who's a blogger in, this, in Canada, and he writes this. An open home displays Christian love, but it also enables it. Hospitality creates opportunities for relationship, for discipleship, and for evangelism. It creates a natural context for modeling marriage, parenting, and a host of Christian virtues. While we are to teach others what the Bible says, we are also to demonstrate what it says. And we do that by inviting people into our homes and into our lives. We as elders are not to be people who sit in ivory towers. We as elders are to be those who live amongst God's people, who live amongst the congregation and let them see up close and personal what it looks like to live for Christ. Next week, we're going to outline the process for electing elders in this church. And what you're going to see next week is that you as voting members, those of you who are voting members, you're going to be asked to nominate people to be considered for eldership here. It's going to be up to you to put names forward. And what I really want you to do as you have that list of names, those people you're considering nominating, what I want you to do is I want you to have 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 7 open beside you. And as you pray about nominating that person, as you think about nominating that person, read this passage and ask yourself the question, do they have the character required to be an elder in the church of Jesus Christ? And if you have a desire to be an elder, and if further down the line you're put forward to be elected as an elder, if you're approached to do that, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to read out loud 1 Timothy chapter 3, 1 to 7. I want you to stand, I want you to read it out loud, and then I want to ask yourself one question. Is this me? Is this me? The overseer must be above reproach. The husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, 
respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Is that you? Is that me? Let's pray it may be so for all of us. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that we have complete and other forgiveness through Christ. Lord, as we read that list of characteristics that an elder should have, we recognize that none of us have them consistently all of the time. All of us fail and fall short, and so we thank you so much for the grace that is ours. And we thank you that even in our failure and our feelings, we are still your children. But Father, as we consider electing new elders in this congregation, we pray that you would raise those up who do consistently meet these characteristics. I pray too that you would help us to be discerning in who to put forward, that we wouldn't put forward those who are nowhere near these things. Father, we would ask that as new elders are elected in this place, that they would be people of good character, people who are serious about their faith, people who are dedicated to trying to follow the teachings in the way of Christ. And Father, we pray for those people who are uh, in your sovereignty elected as elders. We pray that in time, you would equip them with the competency that they need to do the job well. Father, all of us are challenged this morning in various ways, so help us to remember the grace that is ours, but also help us to repent and help us to live according to your will for our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.